What's up, dudes? Welcome to chapter three of Whitney Webb's new book, One Nation Under Blackmail. It's titled Organized Crime in the State of Israel. And so what I'm doing right now is I am copying the first part of this whole chapter, and we're just going to listen to it together. I could read the whole, I guess I could start reading it. Um, yeah, we'll just do this first part. It's not long. I'm not doing much now. So <clears throat> first chapter is called, like I said, Organized Crime in the State of Israel. First part is uh, titled State Building. In its July 1971 obituary for Samuel Bronfman, the New York Times wrote that after World War II, the liquor baron had helped finance secret purchase of Canadian weapons for troops of the... Uh, Haganah. Additional details on Bronfman's role in that purchase beyond its brief mention by the Times are rather difficult to come by. Peter Newman and his otherwise exhaustive Bronfman dynasty writes that Sam personally underwrote life insurance policies for the Canadian pilots recruited to help Israel fight its 1948 War of Independence. However, it was also known that a few years after Israel's creation in 1951, Bronfman would play a leading role in a similar secret purchase for the Haganah's successor. The Israel, the Israel Defense Force, IDF in that case, Bronfman uh, specifically answered the call of Israel's Shimon Press, uh, I'm sorry, Shimon Perez, taking Perez to Ottawa, Canada to negotiate the transfer for $2 million worth of weapons to Israel. Bronfman then raised funds to cover the entire cost of the seizable arms cash. Yet, aside from that little is known of his earlier role in arming Zionist paramilitaries prior to Israel's founding, as Newman noted, Bronfman preferred to remain light-lipped, uh, I'm sorry, tight-lipped on Zionist matters despite his position as head of the Canadian Jewish Congress. An example of the family's characteristic quiet manipulation, regardless of the exact nature of Bronfman's activities in this area, his connection to the Haganah was not unique for those in his social circles. Yet, even outside of Bronfman's contacts, efforts to aid the Zionist paramilitary group, which would later form the backbone of the IDF, were already in indicative of a wider tendency in pro-Zionist activism that swept across Canada, America, and Latin America and beyond during the late 1940s. What was at stake was the creation of Israel itself, a sovereign political entity independent of, British, of the British, who until 1948 had controlled mandatory Palestine in accordance with the treaties set up at the end of World War I. When British mandate ended in May 1958, Israel declared itself independent and immediately entered into conflict with the Palestinians and a coalition of Arab forces. Those fighting to create Israel were able to assert themselves so forcefully, largely because of the careful groundwork that had been laid out in advance by a number of individuals and groups, many of them working in the shadows. Such was the historical mission of the Haganah Defense, an organized Zionist paramilitary network that had been set up by the Jewish agency, an activist branch of the World Zionist Organization, uh, the WZO, <laughs> the Jewish agency under the leadership of David Ben. God damn. It's just so goofy. 
Uh, this is so, such a goofy organization. <laughs> the Wazo. It's kind of funny. Uh, communal outposts and defense groups in mandatory Palestine that the Jewish agency would later uh, atrophy only to be relaunched by one of Leslie Wexner's mentors, Max Fisher in 1970. The foundation of the Haganah in 1920 was a major step forward towards the formation of the Israeli state. Vital to its functioning was the training in arms provided by the British military major general or Charles Wignate, who had been dispatched to help administer British control over the territories, worked closely with the Haganah Wingate, even organized joint British Army Zionist paramilitary commando units dedicated to patrolling and suppressing Arab elements in the region. These were called the Special Night Squads. In 1945, Haganah began its effort to stockpile weapons, ammunition, aircraft, non-lethal supplies, and machine tools sourced from ground, sourced from around the globe. In the U.S., Ben Gurion reached out to a close associate, uh, Zionist activist Rudolf Sonborn, who had traveled to Palestine years earlier to survey the construction of Jewish villages on behalf of the World Zionist Organization. Under the leadership of the WZO, <laughs> under the leadership of uh, Sonborn, 18 or so Jewish militaries, uh, I'm sorry, 18 or so Jewish millionaires and billionaires were recruited into bankrolling the supply effort. Thus, the Sonborn Institute, as it was known, was born. The institute and activist collaboration of Zionist militaries and billionaires that pursued specific Zionism-related causes would later serve as sort of a model for the mega group, uh, founded years later by Leslie Wexner and Charles Bronfman in 1991. The Sonborn Institute's chief asset was Haganah, operative named Yehuda Arazai. During World War II, he served as a soldier in the Jewish Brigade at a British army unit that recruited its fighters from the immigrant populations living in mandatory Palestine. By 1945, he was an old hand at gun running indeed. Uh, Arazi had been active smuggling arms for the Haganah into Palestine from Europe since 1938. Through these efforts, he developed an impressive roster of contacts, many of whom were trapped or tapped to set up from front companies through which Sonborn, the Sonborn Institute and Haganah could carry out their activities. Ricky Dale Calhoun wrote that. <laughs> Ricky Dale Calhoun, <laughs> he wrote, Arazi associate was Leonard Wiseman, who was probably a member of the Sonborn group. Wiseman was a 34-year-old from Pittsburgh who had made a fortune in scrap metals and construction materials. His business included materials redistribution company, a firm that dealt in scrap machinery, Paragon Design and Development Corporation, a company that traded in building materials, and Pratt Steamship Lines, a fourth Wiseman company, Foundry Associates Incorporated, existed only on paper. All, all assisted in the purchase and illegal export of arms from the United States. Interesting. Other front companies were organized by Noam Bernstein, an attorney in New York City that were used to source weapons and or construct them from spare parts, then export them overseas. Bernstein's name can be found on the corporate registrations of firms like machinery processing and 
converting company, a machinery processing and converting company, which provided cover for the purchase of illegal export of arms, making machines as well as armaments. And Ovid Trading Company, which supplied legal cover for buying and transporting explosives. There was also a trio of interlaced companies, materials for Palestine, inland machinery, and metal company. <clears throat> and the Eastern Development Company, materials for Palestine, was a charity through which money could be raised while inland machinery actively shipped armaments and lethal munitions. Eastern Development, meanwhile, exported legal non-military goods and machinery to Palestine as relief supplies. There was possible, uh, there is a possibility that Paul um, Hellowell discussed in Chapter One had the some connection to this company, as he was listed as the attorney for the similarly named Eastern Development Corporation. According to a 1951 article in the Miami News. Eastern Development was doing business in Florida, but had been formed in Pittsburgh. It's mentioned above Leonard Wiseman, the probable uh, Sonborn group member who worked with Arazai to create fronts for arms exporting, was also from Pittsburgh. <clears throat> the potential presence of Hellowell in this mesh leads naturally to another question. Was organized crime also involved in these efforts? Unlike the mysteries around Eastern development, the role of organized crime in covertly arming the Haganah is well documented. As these unofficial arms trade networks spread across the U.S., gangsters and mobsters, many of whom actively identified with the Zionist cause, threw their hats into the ring. Early on, Arazai forged ties with Mayor Lansky, requesting aid in maritime transit for the arms. Lansky, in turn, contacted two of his associates who were controlled New York City's docks and the Longshoremen's Union, Albert Anastasia and Joe Adonis. The trio then helped Israeli agents conceal the arms purchased for Israel while arms bound for Egypt mysteriously fell overboard. Lansky's close associate, uh, Bugsy Siegel, met with uh, Reuven Daphne, a representative of the Haganah looking to raise funds. Daphne, as the story goes, told that the path 